Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith, Monday, February 1st, 2016. We're only one month away from the start of the Great Tribulation, at least according to the Jim Baker show. (sighs) Thankfully, we won't be talking about that today. We have our own other crazy things we'll be getting to. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. There is no shortage of crazy things being said out there. We actually take the time to put God's Word back into context to compare with the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-proclaimed apostles and apostolettes, and those put forward by the evangelical industrial complexes, those who we need to be listening to, whose books we need to be buying, whose curriculum we need to be studying instead of the Word of God in our small group Bible studies, to see if what they're saying actually squares with what God's Word says, or if they've totally made up their own doctrine and theology. It's Kind of like rolling your own cigarettes or, you know, maybe your own um, joints, if you would, and smoking it. These people do that, theologically, that is. And uh, we check to see if what they're saying squares with what God's Word says, or over and again we find out what they're really doing is teaching for shameful gain the things that they ought not to teach. This is a program that's all about biblical discernment. It's a little bit rough and tumble. Obviously, we name names. Obviously, we play sound bites, not just sound bites, but whole segments of sermons and teachings by the most popular people out there, and then open up God's Word and take a look at what it says. And um, if you're new to the program, this program, well, it might feel like <laughs> kind of like the theological equivalent of the ice bucket challenge. Yeah, I understand that. Here's what I ask you to do. Don't give me the benefit of the doubt. You don't need to trust me at all. Nope. All I ask you to do is listen with an open Bible and ask the question, who's telling me the truth about what God's Word is actually saying? It's just that simple. You don't need to listen with an open mind. You need to listen with an open Bible. That's the thing we ask you to do. And uh, we try to have a little bit of fun along the way, which obviously causes weeping and gnashing of teeth for some. All right, let's talk about what we are going to do on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. This is going to be a program that is all over the map. And uh, so we're going to begin with the Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate update. Uh, We're going to be listening to Amanda Wells. 
Uh, yeah, she's one of these Elijah list so-called prophetesses. And uh, wow, um, <laughs> she sells a whole lot of nonsense, that's for sure, and charges top dollar for it, too. And uh, so we're going to be listening to her latest video. And <laughs> oh, man, it's it's just it's just nuts. Then, of course, we're going to head over to Glory of Zion. We're going to do a little prophecy open mic. It's been a while since we've done prophecy open mic and uh, so we'll uh, see what they're doing over there at glory of zion uh then what we're going to do somewhere in there we're going to end up taking a break and then we have for the first time in a while a mark driscoll update he has an announcement we're going to play the announcement and ask some of the tougher biblical questions uh, pertaining to driscoll and uh, this announcement and then we'll round off our number one with a vision casting leader update and uh, listen to Jurgen Matthias as he explains to us, you know, um, this idea of, you know, casting vision both for the church and for um, you individually at the beginning of the year. Yeah, fascinating stuff, nowhere taught in uh, scripture. And then in hour number two, we're going to review a sermon from a church we have never reviewed a sermon before from. Uh, this is Southeast Christian Church in Louisville, Kentucky. We're going to listen to Dave Stone on his uh, sermon entitled um, <clears throat> Equip. The name of the sermon is Equip. So that's what we're going to be doing for today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. Strongly recommend that you make yourself comfortable. We have a ton of ground that we're going to cover today. And uh, since we're going to do a Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate update to begin with, that requires us to do this. Oh, hallelujah. right that's uh, robert tilton and who baba conda and one of our new mu music mixes that we've uh, thrown into the rotation here at fighting for the faith and uh, so we're going to start off with amanda wells uh like i said she's an elijah list <clears throat> prophetess and uh <laughs> yeah just you might want to be sitting down because what we're going to be listening to is really a whole lot of nonsense and of course it begins with a, a little bit of a uh, of a plug for you to purchase her nonsensical um, uh, curriculum, yeah, because this person <laughs> you listen to what she's selling and whether you think of whether or not you would want to buy this. Well, hi everybody, it's Amanda here. Hi, Amanda. And I know I did a peri uh, periscope yesterday, but it didn't work. I am in my office, which has now become my studio. As you can, she's she's on Periscope. There's people following her. You know, so she does a periscope and people go, oh, man, I can't wait to see Amanda Wells. Oh, I got a quick tune into periscope. Got my green screen at the back. 
Yeah, I, it looks like you just bought it. It doesn't even look like you took some time to iron out the uh, the creases in it. Okay. Really wanted to share something about 2016, but yeah. before I do remember, this is the last day to get the special on my dream course and my uh, prophetic school. The dream course and prophetic school from Amanda Wells, who uh, has become a regular feature here at Fighting for the Faith. How much would you pay for Amanda Wells's dream course and prophetic school? Um yeah, you uh, wouldn't pay a slug nickel for it. How much are you charging for that with a special discounted price, Amanda? Bundle together, you can get them both for $67. So much revelation and teaching in both. And- 67 uh, Australian dollars. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. That's way, 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 way too high. In fact, if you were giving it away, it would still be overpriced. Put both together, but as from tomorrow, they're back to their normal prices. Now, I was looking and seeing how, wow, some things here about 2016. Yeah. And 2016 is the year, the Hebrew year, 5775. And it comes... Yeah, you're the person who thinks that Vav is the uh, Hebrew letter that means a hook into heaven where it can pull things down. (laughs) You know, here I've known... I've been reading Hebrew for, you know, quarter of a century and... uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Never knew that about the uh, Hebrew letter Vav, the way she says it. Um, yeah, so <laughs> what? <laughs> why do I think you're going to tell me anything? Why should I think you're going to tell me anything significant regarding the Hebrew year number thingy? The, the scripture in Leviticus 25 verse 10. And ye shall hallow the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout all the land. Oh, um, yeah. She's one of these people who's buying into this idea of the Jubilee. Well, the thing is, is that we've already demonstrated this on previous episodes of Fighting for the Faith. No one knows exactly when the Jubilee is. And although the, the, the people who are living in the nation state of Israel are celebrating the Jubilee this year... Um, that doesn't mean that this is actually the biblical Jubilee. Nobody knows exactly when Jubilee is. All the inhabitants thereof, and it shall be a Jubilee unto you, and you shall return every man unto his possession. Yeah, by the way, the, uh, the command to uh, celebrate the Jubilee doesn't apply to any New Testament believers um, for the same exact reason why you are not required to uh, circumcise your male children. Uh-huh, yeah, uh, let's just put it this way. That portion of uh, the Mosaic Covenant has been fulfilled in Christ. That's specifically ceremonial-type stuff. Um, in this particular case, a little bit of civil and, and ceremonial mixed together, but all of this stuff has already been fulfilled in Christ, and Christians are not required to celebrate or observe Jubilee or Shemitah or anything like that. So uh, here she is talking about the Jubilee year from the Bible, thinking that this is the actual year of the Jubilee, but nobody knows when the Jubilee is anymore. They seem to have lost track of that. And now she's reading the relevant portion from the Mosaic Covenant, which, of course, Christians are not required to keep. Fascinating. We continue. And ye shall return every man unto his family. Yea, the Jubilee, everything the enemy stolen. Everything from you, every possession, everything from the smallest thing to the largest, from houses to cars to rings to everything. And not only that, but 2016 is the year when the prodigals must come home. Uh, (laughs) What? (laughs) 
oh, this woman does not know what she's talking about. Yet people are paying her money for her courses? No way. Yeah, that's a sheer sign the church has gone into deep apostasy because it says in the scriptures that God will send a strong delusion um, so the people will believe a lie because they did not love the truth. And I think that's what we're getting here. Um, wow, that's just fascinatingly bad. So, uh, so the devil has to give everything back that he took from you this year in 2016. And all the prodigals have to come home. Really, do tell. Have to, because the enemy has to release them. Wow. So if you have a son or a daughter who's a prodigal, I'm telling you, stand and declare. And I'm declaring with you that this is the year of Jubilee and the prodigals are coming home. Yeah, now what's weird is that if Amanda Wells were my mother, and thank God that's not the case, she would think I'm a prodigal because I don't think she's a prophetess. Um, but I'm not. That's the funny thing. Um, she's actually the irony here is that she's the one who's prodigal. She's gone off the you know the biblical doctrine reservation and is wandering off into just nonsensical teachings that are have nothing to do with God the Holy Spirit. She's quite the blasphemer. So uh, so if if what her teaching is if her teaching about the jubilee is true that the prodigals have to come home, well then this is the year that Amanda Wells has to repent of of uh, being a prophetess, uh, confess that she is not, and actually um, (laughs) repent and bear fruit in keeping with repentance by uh, leaving public ministry and finding a good Christ-centered church that teaches sound biblical doctrine. Yet prodigals got to come home this year, you know. Now, 2016 is the year of Jubilee, and this is where we sync up, you might say, with the destiny of Israel. And in every- yeah, so 2016, the year we sync up with the destiny of Israel, really. Jubilee, all through the centuries, when there has been, um, you might say, significant things going on or events going on in Israel, it has. We've all, always seen that the church starts to have an awakening or and a revival. Uh, <laughs> oh man. Yes, she's quite the gifted making thing at making things up. You know what I'm saying? Now we're seeing significant things coming out of Israel right now. Yeah, Israel, Palestine. We've seen the Iran. Palestine. Yeah, you know, Palestine. It's uh, halfway between Palestine and Afghanistan. Yeah, look it up. It's right there. You know, just a little north of Syria. Um, Palestine. Yeah. <laughs> what? All of these things are happening, and when this happens, there is an awakening. Oh. Now. In this jubilee, it means that there is a hovering grace over us. A, a hovering grace. Where do you find that in the Bible? And we are to enter this hovering grace, this awakening of grace and favor, enter it, and start to proclaim liberty. <laughs> so we're supposed to enter the hovering grace and then proclaim liberty. Well, how high up is the hovering grace? Do do I enter it by use of a ladder? Um, do I need an elevator? I mean, how do I get into this hovering grace? Possess your possessions yeah. where where the devil has ripped you off. Come on, start possessing them. Now- right, get, get to possessing your possessions. Right, yeah. I... <laughs> Last time I checked, I seemed to be possessing my possessions. Never had a problem possessing them. What is this? 
Don't just sit there and pray, oh, God, please, come on. Go up into that realm. Uh-huh. I'm supposed to go up into the hovering thing realmy, right? Uh-huh. Don't wait for the awakening to come down to you. Uh-huh. You go up into the awakening. I, I got to go up into it, right, yeah. Man, I've, I've never been up into an awakening before. I mean, I haven't even gone down to an awakening. I mean, ugh. Going up seems like such a challenge. I mean, being earthbound and everything. Um, how do I do this? Bring it down. Yeah. God wants us to go into it. Right, but couldn't I just go and get a vav and, like, you know, stick the vav up into the awakening hovering grace thingy and then just, you know, pull the awakening down with a vav? Couldn't I do that? That's what they did at the day of Pentecost. The, the church, everything was awakened. There was a significant event. There was grace and favor and salvation in the air. The disciples didn't continue to sit in the room. It, yeah, the salvation was just hovering right over there. And the, there was an awakening thing in the air, yeah. Once they realized there was an awakening, they walked out, started pr- speaking in tongues, praying in tongues. As soon as they realized there was an awakening, this apparently a retelling of the story of the uh, day of Pentecost started bringing the awakening down yeah now this is the next bit that i found so exciting and i just wanted to share with you the next bit that you just made up like the awakening thingy on the day of pentecost right the decree of cirrus was given on the 70th jubilee okay Uh the decree of cyrus yeah this is today now the the cirrus jubilee so when we have a ju- this is the serious jubilee i seriously don't know what you're talking about jubilee, a 70th jubilee yeah. now remember the decree of cirrus was given on the 70th jubilee okay. it has been and i didn't say that correctly it has been now 70 years it's not 70 it's 70 jubilee years 70 jubilees since cirrus that's the, that's the jubilee that we're in now. Uh, that's weird because uh, when I was playing Georgian Banoff or whatever that guy's name, he was saying it was the 40th since Jesus. You know, well, maybe it is the 37th. Yeah, wow. I mean, wow. Oh, that just b- blows my mind. And what does any of this mean? Nothing. This is the Cirrus Jubilee. Cirrus. So when we have a jubilee, yeah. then especially a 70th like this, Cirrus starts to get raised up in the nations. Cirrus starts to get raised up. You're just making things up again, yeah. I want to tell you, Cirrus is about to get raised up. We're going to see kings of Persia raised up. Wow, I can hardly wait. Kings of Persia being raised up. I mean, the whole world has been waiting for that. I mean, they've been gone for so long. It's about time we had a few of them back. They're getting raised up to open the brass doors of our nation. To the, the, uh, the brass doors, okay, yeah. Open the economic systems in our nation. Will Gozer the Gozerian come with them? They are there to find the treasures of darkness and to bring them into the light, even though they may not be saved. We are going to see Cirruses raised up in the marketplace who are going to unlock the finances in the nation when the finances are unlocked as it says in isaiah 45 when yeah isaiah 45 has nothing to do with the serious jubilee that's being released in our nation today that you just made up these finances get unlocked we see other things happen 
that the captives come back to to us. This is Jubilee. Now, yeah, it, it's Jubilee, all right. Um, uh, it's the grand celebration of utter nonsense, apparently, in the charismatic movement. Yeah, I don't know what to make of any of that. I, I think it's best if we leave her non-lucid, um, nonsensical statements that she thinks are so profound and, uh, and well, supplement that with a, <laughs> with a prophecy open mic. But uh, since we're going over to Glory of Zion in order to do that, well, that requires us to do this. <laughs> What do you want to do tonight? The same thing we do every night, Pinky. Try to take over the world. The Pinky and the Brain is Pinky and the Brain. One is a genius, the other's insane. The laboratory mice, the genes have been sliced. The Pinky, the Pinky and the Brain, 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 Brain. Before each night is done. Their plan will be unfurled by the dawning of the sun. They'll take over the world. The pinky and the brain, yes, pinky and the brain. The twilight campaign is easy to explain. To prove their mousy worth, they'll overflow the earth. They're pinky, they're pinky and the brain, 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 brain. brain. Heading over to Glory of Zion. This is the uh, latest <laughs> prophecy open mic over there. And uh, this is a prophecy from January 25th, so you know, a little over a week ago. Uh, it's a series of prophecies uh, entitled A New Fire. A New Fire, right. So <laughs> here we go. And Lord, this is the season that he's saying this morning, if you want fire in your house, I don't care who's saved in it and who's not saved in it. But if the one who is seeking me will stand up and decree, I'm having fire in my house. Yeah, I don't think the fire marshal's going to allow that. Um Yes, I don't know why the folks over there at Glory of Zion are all, you know, hearing a prophecy from the Holy Spirit, apparently saying that the Holy Spirit wants to set fire to your house or put fire in your... Yeah, you know, there. Well, I don't even have a fireplace in the house we're running, come to think of it. Where would I put this fire? I mean, we have an electric stove. I don't even have a fireplace. Um, yeah, I'll pass on this one. Thanks. I don't need no fire in my house. And begin to move in it. The Lord is On me. I, well, I don't want to catch fire. And your whole household will be saved. For well, I am beginning to build in a new way, and I'm beginning to connect in a new way, and I'm beginning to align in a new way. So beginning to connect and build and align in a new way. Yeah, wow. You know, because the way God was connecting and building and aligning in the past, I mean, that just became so passe. Yeah, in fact, it's about time that God, the Holy Spirit, was connecting and aligning in a new way. I mean, I was wondering when he was going to do that because the way he was connecting and aligning and building was so stale. I mean, yeah, I mean, you, you got to change up how you connect and align and build. Otherwise, you know, everybody is just expecting you to do it that way all the time. And 
And then it nobody's even paying attention anymore. Right. I'm so glad that the Holy Spirit is now going to connect and align and build in new ways, right? Well, I say to you, don't miss the new way that right. is upon you. The, the new way, yeah. I, yeah. Don't miss the path ahead. For I say to you, I am beginning to Say it, the Lord. So refocus, refire, re-something your people. Right. In order to do that, you got to yeah, connect and build and stuff in a totally different way. Yeah, not, not the way you've done it. Really. And the Lord says in this season that you won't have to war on, on your own. For I'm releasing messengers of fire from the throne room. From- All right. Messengers of fire now. Here we go again. More fire coming from God. This could be dangerous, could destroy property. The fire on the altar, I am releasing them into your midst. Um, agree with the messengers of fire in this season, and you will war as never before, and you will be victorious in this season. So call for the messengers of fire to war on behalf of kingdom. All right, so if you are needing you know, some kind of victory in your warfare thingy, um, there's fire angels uh, that are being released, and you need to agree with them. Right, yeah, okay. What am I agreeing with them on exactly so that they can war on my behalf? And the Lord says that he has brought us up to the gates of the reserve. And he said... Gates of the reserve. Right. Is this a wildlife refuge? Is it the fire that he is releasing into us this season? More fire being released. Yeah, they ain't dangerous stuff, that fire. Will be that which unlocks the gates that hold the reserve. All right, so the fire that's going to unlock the gates that holds the reserve thingy. Yeah, I got nothing on that. And I'll energize you. I'll give you the scent Give me the scent of how the Spirit of God will break through. Yeah, I'm, you know, for years, um, in fact, all my life now, um, almost five decades, um, never had to have or use uh, the scent of um, the Spirit for, you know, anything. Um, How do you use God's scent exactly? will not back up from the enemy lines. You will go beyond and confuse every way that the enemy is operating. Confuse every way. That, apparently I'm the enemy because I'm totally confused by what it is they're saying. I say I have a people gathering in a new way. Uh-huh. Right, yeah. Yeah, every time we uh, play these prophecy open mics, I begin to think that their spirit, their Holy Spirit, which is not the same Holy Spirit I believe in, but their Holy Spirit is incapable of actual lucid communication and or thought. I say to you, I am going to deal in this season with that which is in the joints and the connection of the bones, for I am going to consume that. Fire that's in the joint of the connection of the bones that God's going to consume. Yeah, you lost me. I'm going to make the bone structure function correctly in this season. I say to you, I'm going to deal with diseases in the bone for the skeletal structure of my 
Yeah, just because you yelled it doesn't mean it makes it any more um, understandable. Uh, yeah, by the way, the reason why the folks over at Glory of Zion put these videos up on their website, it's because they think that these are actual prophecies from God the Holy Spirit. And as a result of it, they, you know, they've got to hang on to these things. I mean, God is speaking. You don't just take God's words and just let them disappear into the atmosphere. No, no, you got to, you got to collect them. And so this is why they collect them and then put them on their website, you know, because, uh, you know, this is the kind of stuff you know, they, they haven't tacked it onto the back of their Bible yet. But could you imagine if somebody actually spent the time transcribing these prophecies and then tack them on the back of the Bible, you know, right, right after the book of Revelation, we'll call it the, the book of glory of Zion. And I mean, <laughs> whoo, yeah, um, I wouldn't call these prophecies. I, yeah, again, this is just not, this is kind of like, um, there, you know, you know how speaking in tongues sounds like gibberish. This is like gibberish using words rather than, uh, just syllables, um, uh, you know, or, you know, parts of a word. Um, yeah, this is, yeah. Prophetic vomit it might be a good way of describing it. But uh, anyway, you kind of get the point. We're up on our uh, first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at Christian. Quick break. When we come back, we have a Mark Driscoll update. And uh, then we'll have a Jurgen Matthias uh, uh, vision casting leader update. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss them. We'll be right back. No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> And now, Max Holiday's Birdcage Theater proudly presents Sessions with Mildred. Um, Mr. Sunshine, your three o'clock appointment is here. Oh, good. Send them right on in. Will do, Mr. Sunshine. Oh, dear, I've completely forgotten who I'm meeting. Let's just see who it is. Let's see. Oh, yes. Uh, Mr. Brightweight was at one o'clock. Miss Woodhead was at two. And at three, we have... No. Hello? Ah! Oh dear, not again. Sorry about that. It was merely a reflex action. I'm trying to get that fixed. So, anyway. Why are you here today? 
I was assigned to you again after my attitude didn't improve last time. Did you forget already? It must be because you don't like me. Of course I don't! Uh, uh, hate you! Nobody hates you here! We all love it when you're not around! I, 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 I mean, uh... <laughs> Let's get down to business. We're here to discuss how you performed in our newest Lead Like Jesus program. I'll just pull up the complaint file here. <laughs> Let's start from the beginning. Approximately three hours later. So after you failed to walk on the lake, you then disappeared for two weeks and were luckily found by hikers in the mountain who claim they found you deliriously raving about how you refused to turn a rock into bread. Do you have anything to say for yourself? But I thought I was leading like Jesus, like you told me to. <sighs> I think you failed to see the purpose of this ministry outreach. There are a few accounts that even I can't even understand. Here, explain this one right here. Well, in Matthew 21, Jesus cursed a fig tree and it withered away because it didn't bear any fruit. So my neighbor down the street planted a lemon tree about three years ago, and I've never seen any lemons on it. So I walked over and cursed it, but it wouldn't die, so I used sulfuric acid instead. What are you doing to my tree? You maniac! Get out of my yard! Uh... What? Why is my tree melting? Sir, do you have a moment to talk about the Lead Like Jesus program? No, I don't have time to... Stop changing the subject! Get off my lawn! Stop! 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 I, I get it! Okay, how on earth did you get banned for life from the local soup kitchen? Well, remember the feeding of the 5,000 in Matthew chapter 14? Yes, we all know the story. You don't mean to tell me. Well... All right, Mildred, we have a large shipment of food that just came in. We need you to direct the men to put it where it all belongs. Right. Where do you want it all? Oh, sir, we don't need your food today. I'm just going to leave like Jesus and have God provide these people with food. What? If you don't mind me saying, but I think God provided all the food on this heavily laden truck. It's okay. My pastor had a vision that this would work. Well, that settles it. Men, we've got the wrong place. We thought this was a soup kitchen, but it turns out that this is a loony bin. Add out! Uh, Mildred, where's the food? Don't worry, this is all the food we need. That's just two Ritz crackers and three dead goldfish. I'm leading like Jesus. If you just give me a wicker basket, I'll lift it up and God will multiply it. The only thing that's going to multiply is the number of bruises on your face. Good gravy! That's not what you're supposed to be doing at all! But I'm supposed to... I know! You're supposed to lead like Jesus. 
but you've clearly took this too literally. And this last one about you making a whip from electrical cords and chasing the poor baristas from the coffee shop in the church foyer while screaming something about brood of vipers and uh, turning God's house into a den of robbers is, is taking it too far. Wow. No, not again. No more flashbacks. Why do you keep getting these anyway? Sunshine, open up. This is the police. We received an anonymous phone call from Biblical Repairman about you corrupting the youth and forcing them to do terrible things in the name of God. Curse you, anonymous caller! I can't go back to prison. You'll never take me alive, coppers! Um, does this mean our session is over? This is Dr. Curtis Lyons. I am the presiding pastor of the American Association of Lutheran Churches. If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God and accepts the Lutheran confessions because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture, I hope that you will take a look at the AALC. Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, our seminary has a residency program and a program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org or on Facebook at the American Association of Lutheran Churches. Faith Lutheran Church in San Antonio, Texas is having a Biblical Worldview Conference February 5th and 6th, 2016 with the theme, Standing Firm in a Hostile World, to help Christians in a culture that is increasingly hostile to Biblical Christianity. Speakers will include Pastor David J. Weber, Attorney Mark Stern, Professor Alan Quist, Dr. Adam Francisco, and Pastor Joseph Abrahamson. Registration and details can be found at worldviewsa.org. Again, that's worldviewsa.org. Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that all these people out there claiming to be hearing from the Holy Spirit, that they're not. The Holy Spirit is not a, well, a non-lucid speaker. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith, this is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. And you can partner with us by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute, well, the amount of your choice. Yeah, crew members pick their rank, and their rank is based upon their monthly financial contribution. Lowest rank in our crew is nine ninety five a month. That's a powder monkey. Uh, Gunner's mate is at twenty four ninety five a month, and then master gunner, forty nine ninety five a month, and quartermaster at ninety nine ninety five a month. 
that's uh, you know this is a great way to support us it helps create a good solid financial basis so that we can not only keep doing what we're doing but save up for the next things that we are planning to do with phase two of our website which requires us to po- hire some people and of course if you'd like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute you can do so by clicking on the donate button or you can make your gift payable the fighting for the faith and then send it to post office box 13344 grand forks north dakota Zip code 58208. Let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we're doing here without it. And um, I think we are to the point now, although it's not up as of the time I'm recording my program, uh, that uh, we will have the link up for the 2016 Pirate Christian Radio Conference. And it's going to be held here in, uh, in, in my area, near Grand Forks. In fact, it's going to be up at Kongsvinger Lutheran Church in Oslo, Minnesota, it will be limited to the first 150 registrants, and uh, we will start. We will open registration either today or tomorrow on the website. Watch my uh, my uh, Facebook and Twitter stream. We'll put the links up once uh, we've got the finishing touches on it, and uh, and so it'll it'll be up. You'll be able to register, and registration is I think 114 dollars and 95 cents per person. It does include a T-shirt. Uh, it include, you know, the the T-shirt for the summer includes, uh, you know, coming to the conference. Two, it'll be uh, lunch will be served on two de- successive days. Um, the uh, the theme for this year's Pirate Christian Radio Conference is uh, Semper Reformanda, uh, which means always reforming. And uh, we've invited back the same speakers we had last year. It'll be myself, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, uh, Pastor Jeremy Rohde, and um, Pastor Jordan Cooper of uh, Justin Sinner fame, and uh, so uh, keep an eye out on my uh, on my Facebook and Twitter stream for the link. And uh, once it goes up, uh, when you go to fightingforthefaith.com, you should see a red bar across the top that will uh, have the information for uh, how to register for our Pirate Christian Radio Conference. Looking forward to uh, meeting many of you listeners. And the folks of Kongsvinger are really excited as well to uh, to meet some of the listeners and uh, get to know you. So keep an eye out. It'll be out shortly. But uh, we need to move along. And our next segment is a Mark Driscoll update. That requires us to do this. down the street don't hear god's word no more the pastor says we don't feed no sheep so get busy and amuse those goats don't be lazy you're here to satisfy the leader's god-given vision supreme if you dare to question him well then certainly be a seat look out another one's off the bus another one's off the bus and another one's off and another one's off another one's off the bus hey He's going to get you to another one's off the bus. One by one, people disappeared, never to be seen again. I thought this whole darn thing was a joke, but I changed my mind when I saw the pastor jump on the bus, tear out screeching down the street. People were getting squashed like bugs and piled up like dead feet. Look out. Another one's off the bus. 
Another one's off the bus. And another one's off. And another one's off. Another one's off the bus. Hey, they don't care about you. Another one's off the bus. I am all about blessed subtraction. There, there is a pile of dead bodies behind the Mars Hill bus. <laughs> and by God's grace, it'll be a mountain by the time we're done. Um, you either get on the bus or you get run over by the bus. Those are the options. But the bus ain't going to stop. There's a few kind of people. There's people who get in the way of the bus. they got to get run over. There are people who want to take turns driving the bus. they got to get thrown off because <laughs> they want to go somewhere else. There, there is a pile of dead bodies behind the Mars Hill bus. <laughs> and by God's grace, it'll be a mountain by the time we're done. Um, you either get on the bus or you get run over by the bus. Those are the options. But the bus ain't going to stop. Another one's off the bus. Seems to happen quite a bit with uh, the folks uh, like Mark Driscoll. And uh, we have an update. Yeah, him and his wife have given an update. And uh, we're going to play the video update so that you can hear what the news is regarding uh, Mark Driscoll. And I do not consider this to be good news at all. And I'll explain along the way. But here's uh, Mark and Grace Driscoll to give us their special update. Here we go. Howdy, Pastor Mark Driscoll here with my best friend, 28 years running, my wife, Grace. And uh, we have a big announcement, at least it's big for us and for our family. We have moved to Phoenix. We love it here, healing up, making new friends, and excited about uh, this city and the future that God would have us to play in serving the people here, along with some other great churches in the valley. And so, Lord willing, we're hoping, trusting, praying, planning, and also a little bit worrying about... uh, planning a church here in early 2016. Uh, The name of the church will be the Trinity Church. You can find out more at thetrinitychurch.com. There's also a newsletter there, and that's the best way to stay up to speed with everything that we're working on. Uh, Some of you will have questions. Where are you going to meet? I don't know. When are you going to start? I don't know. we got a lot of work to do, but there's certainly room for you. So join us in prayer. And also, uh, since you are the founding and first and my favorite church member, I thought I would just throw you a few questions and uh, let you share a little bit from your heart. We've been here a few months as a family. Uh, How are you feeling about Phoenix so far? I love it. Yeah, it's been a great transition. Had its challenges just moving with the Five kids, a dog, my library. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I I feel like I'm... Um, watching, you know, one of those early, late, long television shows, you know, from from way back, where you know everything was just cast in the perfect light, like the Waltons or something. Oh, we, we're loving it here, and 
in Phoenix. Oh, we're, we're, we're down in Phoenix. We're healing up and well, we're getting ready to plant a new church. Early 2016, the name of it is going to be Trinity Church. Where? Well, we don't know yet. Uh, when? Not exactly sure. But they, we've announced that this is what's going to take place. And um, I mean, he sounds humble, doesn't he? I mean, oh, they, I mean, this is just so carefully uh, scripted and produced. But here's the problem. The problem is that Driscoll has not repented. Nope. If the last we heard from him, he was interviewed by whom? Uh, that would be Brian Houston at the uh, at the Hillsong conference during the summer. And according to Mark Driscoll, the way things went down out there in Seattle, you know, with Mars Hill, uh, the way they went down is is that his his elders, his board of accountability advisors, were going to remove him from the pulpit and discipline him. And also put a plan in place to have him restored to ministry. Driscoll did not submit to this. Instead, he claimed that he received a direct revelation from God saying that that it was a trap and that he was released from ministry. And so Driscoll evaded discipline. Driscoll didn't, he never repented. He never repented for the money that he used to purchase his way onto the New York Times bestseller list. Uh, He never repented for the pile of dead bodies behind the Mars Hill bus. I mean, and, uh, you know, I mean, all of the things that led up to him leaving the ministry in disgrace in Seattle, none of them have been addressed. Not, no, not one. And uh, so the Trinity Church out there in, you know, Phoenix, in the Phoenix area, it's not actually a church. If you really want to be um, crass about this, what the what the Trinity Church is is a corporation, and Driscoll is one of the officers of the corporation, and uh, he's taken on the title of like you know teaching pastor or something like that, and uh, and so. But the thing is, it's not a church. It's a corporation. It's a business entity. They're going to hold services that, well, you know, sound like church services. You know, they're going to have praise and worship music. Driscoll's going to preach and to uh, and to teach and things like that. But my question is, is that who were the uh, who were the elders that um, disciplined him and restored him to ministry? I'm not saying it's impossible for him to have been restored to ministry. Um, in my lifetime, I've seen men who have left the ministry for all kinds of sins. And I've also seen some of them restored to ministry by submitting to a particular plan for restoration and then them being officially reinstated by elders and by their own congregations. I've seen this happen over the course of my lifetime several times. And so I'm not saying Driscoll couldn't possibly be restored. The problem is he claims that God told him that the discipline plan that was put in place by Mars Hill's uh, Board of Accountability Advisors was a trap. And so he didn't submit to it. He evaded it. Um, You know, a good way to think about this is that uh, Driscoll is a church discipline fugitive. He's still on the run. And now he's surfaced or resurfaced in the city of Phoenix and, you know, in letting everybody know, oh, the great news the Driscoll is back. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, no, this isn't good news at all. This is a man who has evaded. Evaded. 
discipline has evaded truly being brought to repentance for the sins that he committed while you know, being the vision-casting leader of Mars Hill in Seattle. And we've covered over the years, I mean, just the outrageous, outrageously sinful things that Driscoll has done over the years. You just go into the archives of Fighting for the Faith, type in Mark Driscoll in the search bar, and start listening. You know, and in, in you know, including this, you know, the sound bite that you hear that there's a pile of dead bodies behind the Mars Hill bus. So it sounds to me like uh, that the escape vehicle that Driscoll got away in, yeah, when he went when he went fugitive, he decided to you know evade uh, you know church discipline and true restoration and repentance. So he grabbed his wife and kids and threw them into the Mars Hill bus, and they uh, drove down to Phoenix. And he found a place for him and his wife and kids to live. And now he's going to set up shop again and call it a church, but it's not. It's a corporation. He's not a pastor. He's a corporate officer uh, imitating a pastor. Um, and um, and so he plans on launching like nothing ever happened. Like, you know, he's going to be a blessing bringing the good news of Jesus Christ to the people of Phoenix. But all he is is a fugitive. He's not running from the law. He's running from God. And see, that's the thing. He needed to repent. He needed to be disciplined. And he needed to have true accountability from men who were really truly looking out for him. But no, he evaded all that. Claimed through the prophecy card, I got a direct revelation. God told me that you were setting a trap for me. So, you know, I'm off the hook. God released me from ministry, so I don't have to submit to your discipline. Yeah, that's how that went down. So now, you know, he's put this video out like, oh, you know, we've been humbly just off the grid, uh, you know, for, you know, for a certain amount of time. But who is it that's restoring Driscoll to ministry? Mark Driscoll. That's who. He's doing this on his own authority. Not God's. We felt very supported by the community and leaders, um, fellow Christians. Yeah. Some pastors have been really warm and welcoming, and mm-hmm. I think I've met with now about fifty different pastors, and we've had dinner and lunch with a lot of pastors mm-hmm. and their wives. Super loving, encouraging, welcoming community. That's been really, really, really good. Um, and here we are struggling. And yeah, st- I find it hard to believe that the only t- the, the only type of pastor that exists in Phoenix are those who. Don't think that Driscoll did anything wrong and that, oh, it's the best thing ever that he's come down to Phoenix and is going to plant a church there. Um, Yeah, I'm I'm having a hard time believing that. It just um, doesn't even remotely sound right to me at all. Bring through the dead of winter, (laughs) but we're doing okay. Um, So you're liking Phoenix. We're liking it as a family. It does feel like home. It's been a great transition for us. Uh, How are you feeling about a church plant? We did one long time ago. We're not as young as we used to be, and the energy levels, at least for me, are not the same. Uh, How are you feeling about a church plant? I am excited overall. I think we have healthy fear about going into it that is appropriate for what the Lord has called us to do. But Um, Why would God call you back into ministry without repenting for the things that caused you to leave uh, the pastoral office in uh, Seattle in shame? Um, overall, I'm excited. I'm excited to see people get saved. Whoever God chooses to 
save in this process. I'm excited to be in community with people from Phoenix. Um, and I'm just excited to hear you preach. I think the kids hey, are too. Thank you. You make me cry. I wasn't expecting that. Thank you. Yeah, when the kids said that recently, Dad, we miss you preaching. That meant a lot to me. So um, wasn't expecting that. Thank you. I look forward to preaching too. Last one, um, the name the Trinity Church. Um, it means a lot to us and to our family and to your family history. For those who would ask, why, why name it the Trinity Church? Uh, there's, a, there's a little backstory with your family there that I thought maybe you could share. Yeah, I was born into the Trinity Church. My dad founded the Trinity Church in Seattle um, and pastored there for over 44 years faithfully. And so my sisters and I and my mom all grew up and were raised in that. And um, I remember serving in the nursery. I remember serving in the office. I remember serving at the food bank. It was a part of uh, my childhood in a huge way. And so just to honor that legacy, um, it, it means a lot. Yeah, and your mom. Yeah, it's a, it's a family a legacy honor thingy. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's clearly they have no intention whatsoever of addressing the actual sins that uh, Mark committed that led to him literally losing the Mars Hill Empire that uh, he created uh, up there in Seattle. Yeah, no, this is this is just really awful. This is truly bad. And the person who it's the worst for and the person who I am most concerned about is Mark Driscoll. Yeah. The, it, he is he is playing with fire, and I mean that. And the reason I say it is because the person ultimately who he has sinned against, by sinning against Jesus's little children, yeah, the pile of dead bodies behind the Mars Hill bus, the person he's actually sinned against is Christ himself. You think of the Apostle Paul. Before he was the Apostle Paul, he was Saul, the Pharisee, and um, and you know he was persecuting Christians. And on the road to Damascus, Jesus knocks him off his horse, blinds him. And, you know, he hears the voice of Jesus basically saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And so the person I am most concerned for is Driscoll. Because he has sinned egregiously against Christ's Christians. The pile of dead bodies behind the Mars Hill bus. By stealing church money to make himself a New York Times bestselling author. All of the shenanigans that he did in the name of you know Christian leadership and teaching men to do the same. Um, the person he's ultimately sinned against is Christ. And by not repenting, by throwing the direct revelation card and saying, God released me, I don't have to submit to your discipline. Yeah, this tells me that his soul is in deep danger. Deep. And until he repents and truly truly shows true contrition for the sins that he committed against Christ and his church, um, yeah, he will never have my support to be back in ministry. And I will continue to warn people because basically what this is, this is a setup for recreating the same scenario that took place in Seattle, this time just with a different group of people. They will, you know, they'll be warmer. Uh, winters won't be quite as harsh. You know, they're in the Valley of the Sun out there in Phoenix. But this is just a setup for creating the exact same scenario because I am convinced he has not truly repented and is on his way to making the same set of, not mistakes, committing the same exact sins that he's committed in the past. It's This is not a good announcement. This is a tragic announcement. Moving along. 
Time for a vision casting leader update. right los lobos ministry records and their rendition of casting vision all right so what we're going to be listening to we're going to head down to c3 church in san diego where uh, one of the protégés of phil pringle holds court his name is jürgen matthias and we're going to be listening to a recent um sermon i i think that might be um overstating it but uh, something of a message delivered during a something that supposedly is a church service where he kind of lays out this idea of of you know vision casting yeah uh, personal vision and uh, as well as you know corporate visions and things like that and none of this is what God's word teaches at all I think this is a great example kind of you know of the doctrine itself isolated in such a way that you can see that this does not originate 
in God's word. This is a man-made doctrine, a man-made tradition, a man-made practice that has absolutely nothing whatsoever to do with what we Christians ought to be doing, either this year, next year, or any year, because it has nothing, it's not taught in Scripture. So here's Jürgen Matthias to explain. Here we go. All right, I want you to come with me in your Bibles to the book of Genesis. Genesis, it literally means the book of beginnings. And uh, the title of my message today is, is, we're on a reset series, is Resetting the Visions of God. The vision. Re- resetting the Visions of God. I didn't know the book of Genesis taught us to do such a thing. Hmm. Visions of God. Last week, we, we basically uh, had Vision Sunday where we got a vision for our life. We basically presented a vision for what we want to see God do in 2016. This is scriptural in, in uh, Proverbs 16, verse 3. It says, commit your plans to the Lord and they will prosper or they will find success. When I uh, yeah, Proverbs sixteen doesn't teach vision casting. I lived my life without including God. It was always a struggle. It was always disappointing. But as soon as I began to discover that God actually wants to be intimately and intricately involved in your life and in my life, I found that just by committing my plans to the Lord, not only did it give me great clarity, but he says, man, you you really want to go down that path? I'm like, you know what? That looked good on paper, but you're right. I don't want that, but I do want this. And I found that the smile of heaven, I found that as I walked in the steps of God, in the will of God, in the purposes of God for my life, there was this wind in my sails that got me to places I could never get to, that helped me achieve things I could never achieve, that helped me to soar far above. And that's God's plan for your life. That's why we do Vision Sunday every year. And you'll find that every year... It- yeah, have you noticed, uh, by the way, if you were to go back and read the Church Fathers, yeah, they didn't celebrate Vision Sunday every year. Yeah, this didn't exist until the vision casting leaders came around. Like in the last 10, 15 years. Weird, huh? It is almost a, a comedy for me because I'll write out my little list on, on my vision card. And, you know. Write out your list on a vision card. Mm-hmm. Yeah, none of the church fathers did that. None of the apostles did it either. Jesus never told us to do that. And I'm hoping nobody sees because they're a little bit audacious. But I get to the end of every year and I'm like, oh, my gosh, check the box. Oh, my gosh, check the box. Oh, my, oh, my God, oh, my God. How many people know that we serve a God, Ephesians 3.20, who can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think? James says you have not because you ask not. Right. See, the reason why you don't have the visions for your life come true is because you haven't asked God for the vision. Right. Jesus says, ask and you shall receive. Right. And he was talking about visions, right? Seek and you will find. And And he meant visions, right? The devil, listen, the devil knows that if he turned up here with his pitchfork, these little pointy tail and little pointy heads and kind of yelled at you and uh, and said, don't believe God, you'd say, well, I'm not listening to you, you red pajamaed pitchfork carrying pointy tailed I'm going to believe God. So what he does is he, Bible says he masquerades as an angel of light. And so he comes in a, in a religious spirit. And yeah, in a religious spirit. Yeah, yeah, religious spirit. And he says, hey, hey, Jesus died on the cross for you. You shouldn't ask for anything. Um, what? <laughs> um, you know, I remember the days before there were any vision casters or any vision Sundays. 
And I don't recall any church I've ever been a part of where the pastor said, in a religious spirit, of course, that uh, Jesus died on the cross for your sins, so don't you dare ask him for anything else. Yeah, no, um, because Jesus himself, he taught us how to pray. And so, you know, every day we pray for our daily bread, forgive us our trespasses, lead us not into temptation. I mean, it's as if Jesus, you know, even though he was going to the cross to die for our sins, um, knew that we should ask God, our Heavenly Father, for things. So it's weird. When you read the Bible, the Bible doesn't teach you, oh, Jesus died for you, so you better not ask for anything else. I've never run into that person. This is what we call like a, a straw man argument. Yeah, he's he, this is a straw man. He's he's de- defeating an argument that nobody's even making. You know, you should just be grateful that he died on the cross for you, but don't ask for anything. Well, the Apostle Paul said, if God did not spare his only begotten son, how much more will he give us greatly all things that we may enjoy life. See, yeah, let's check that verse. Uh, the verse in question, by the way, is uh, Romans chapter 8, uh, verse 32. But uh, Jürgen Matthias here is quoting this out of context. Let's see what's going on in this passage to see if, well, it's basically inviting us to ask, you know, anything of Jesus, you know, because, you know, there's those people out there who say, Oh, now that Jesus has died for your sins, you better not ask him for anything. I don't think that's what's going on here. Romans 8, 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Then we're applying our rules here. Context, context, context. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So what then shall we say to these things? God is for us who can be against us. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Yeah, Paul here isn't saying, you know, during your your annual vision casting Sunday on your vision card, start writing down, you know, because, hey, since God didn't spare his only son, oh, man, you've won the lottery. So just start asking for the moon. No, that's not what's going on in this passage at all, is it? Nope. It's talking about Christ sparing us, keeping us, preserving us in persecution, tribulation, trials. Yeah, and the thing we should expect, well, according to this passage, is famine, nakedness, danger, sword, tribulation, persecution. Yeah, those are the... 
Not that our vision card would be filled up. I, I think um, Jurgen Matthias is pulling a fast one, don't you? We continue. The devil's such a schmuck because for him to say, hey, you've already been given Jesus, don't ask for anything else. What he's saying is, hey, you know, God gave Jesus, but there are a number of, thing, number of things that are far more valuable, that are higher than Jesus. Yeah, I can understand there is nothing, the Bible says if God gave his very, very best, if God gave his very, very best, don't ever think that you're asking for a home, for you asking for a spouse, for you asking for a baby, for you asking for blessing, for you asking for redemption. Yeah, Romans eight thirty two is not about asking God for babies, houses, blessings, and cars, and wow, this, <laughs> so vision casting, it's like write your Christmas list day, yeah. Yeah, because, you know, God gave his very best for you, so you should expect that God's going to, you know, just, you know, he's going to give you a big house, you know, a car, babies, yeah. For you asking for forgiveness, for you asking for that son or daughter to be in the kingdom, for you believing for that raise, for you asking for a business that flourishes so that you can not only be resource but be a resource for the kingdom, don't ever believe the lie of that religious devil that wants you to believe that somehow those things are above Jesus. If God gave Jesus, he'll gladly give you all things that you may enjoy life. Wow. That is, I mean, <laughs> off the chain, deceitful. And what, what, I mean, basically this turns Jesus into our big sugar daddy up in the sky. I mean, Every every year during a vision casting week, you know, that first uh, part of January, oh, fill up your vision card and, and you know, and don't listen to that religious spirit that uh, would say, oh, Jesus died for you. So don't ask him for anything else. Like, who says that? Uh, but, oh, you got you got to believe that. Oh, if, if God, if the father didn't spare Jesus, oh, man, you have won the lottery. It's yeah. Wow, talk about eyes full of greed. Yeah, that is um that's some pretty nasty teaching right there. I uh, I no way to redeem that. And it just kind of it basically shows you what's going on there with the uh, C3 movement. They're not pointing you to Christ and what he's done for you and teaching you to trust in Christ not only for the forgiveness of your sins, your sanctification, and bear fruit in keeping with the spirit. No, they they rip all these verses out of context, teach you this nonsensical man-made practice of vision casting and filling in your vision card, and then basically, you know, teach you that uh, it's all about, you know, the right formula so that you can have the best results in your suburbanite life here here and now and so that you can be wealthy and healthy and and um, you know, things like that. But they're not teaching sound biblical doctrine or the biblical Jesus or the biblical gospel. Everything, you know, with their God is a means to an end. And the end is, well, you having a great life here and now. It's not what Christianity or Christ has promised. Think about it. All right, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Pyre Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Pyre Christian. Quick break when we come back. We're going to be uh, listening to a sermon carefully, someone we never reviewed before, kind of properly distinguishing between law and gospel. Stay tuned, don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Sissioprified religiosity won't save you. 
You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Hi, Ridge Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. Faith Lutheran Church in San Antonio, Texas, is having a biblical worldview conference February 5th and 6th, 2016, with the theme, Standing Firm in a Hostile World, to help Christians in a culture that is increasingly hostile to biblical Christianity. Speakers will include Pastor David J. Weber, Attorney Mark Stern, Professor Alan Quist, Dr. Adam Francisco, and Pastor Joseph Abrahamson. Registration and details can be found at worldviewsa.org. Again, that's worldviewsa.org. to a Fighting for the Faith sermon review time. Ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us from Southeast Christian Church in uh, Louisville, Kentucky. Kyle Eidelman presiding. We're going to be listening to a, uh, a sermon from there next. Follow Jesus on the Adventure of a Lifetime sermon series. And we're going to listen to the first sermon in the series titled Explore. And... Um, all I can say is uh, this is quite the exploration. So um, exploration into Bible twisting and confusing of law and gospel, if you would. So let me go ahead and back off on the music. And without any further ado, here is Kyle Eidelman and his sermon titled Explore. Here we go. 
I was reading a blog this week about a book that was published five or six years ago, and the book was called The Island of the Lost Maps. It was written by a guy named uh, Miles Harvey, and in the book he tells the mostly true story of a map thief named Gilbert Bland, and Bland would travel across America and visit libraries and cut valuable maps out of antique books, and then he would sell those maps. And Miles Harvey, as he was telling about what motivated him as an author to tell this story of a thief who stole maps, here's what he says. He says, in my 30s, I spent a great deal of time at a traveler's cafe in Chicago whose walls were adorned with masks from Bali and whose shelves were filled with maps and guides of far-flung destinations. He says, at that time, I was a literary critic for the magazine Outside Magazine. It was a great job, but one that was beginning to wear on my patience. He says, the books I read were all about people who did things like climb the Himalayan mountains or rode a bicycle across Africa or sailed wooden boats across the Atlantic or tracked into restricted areas of China. And he says, these tales of adventure filled my days and my imagination, yet my own life was anything but adventurous. He writes, the interior of the coffee shop was ringed with clocks, each one showing the time of some distant locale. And as I watched the weeks ticking away in these distant places, I began to long for an adventure of my own. You reach a place where you get tired of reading other people's stories. You want to be able to tell your own story. You get tired of just looking at maps. At some point, you want to go visit the place. And he says that he reminded himself of a character in Joseph Conrad's novel who would look at maps and would say, when I grow up, I'll go there. Someday I'm going to go there. And for many of us, we can resonate with that, that feeling of sitting in a coffee shop and seeing other people's adventures and wanting an adventure of our own. We become content to just look at maps and say, someday I'll go there. Well, why not today? Well, today's not a really good day. It's busy right now, but someday I'll go there. Someday I'm going to be more intentional with my marriage. I know what kind of husband I want to be. I know what kind of wife God wants me to be. Someday I'm going to be. I'm going to. I'm going to. You're going to notice that a lot of imperatives here. And we're not starting with a biblical text. We're starting with a weird story about a guy who wanted to go on an adventure. Um, bad place to start. Uh, pastor should always begin with a text from Scripture. Uh, yeah, the job of a pastor is to preach the Word. So, you know, already we've got a problem, and the reason why we got a problem is because he's not starting with a biblical teaching. He's starting with a teaching that starts with somebody else's book, and now we're going to somehow create Christian doctrine from this. And you'll notice that uh, so far, what, you know, what we got, a guilt trip. Yeah, someday I'm going to, you know, I'll fix this and get my finances straight. I'll, you know, finally decide to be the husband I'm supposed to be. I'll, I'll finally be the employee that I'm supposed I'll finally, find, you know, law, 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 law. So apparently the problem in your life is that you haven't decided to uh, clean things up yet. Uh-huh. So that's the reason why things are going back, because you haven't determined enough, haven't resolved enough to, you know, to go on the adventure of your lifetime. And, and someday I'm going to go there, but, but right now there's just a lot going on. 
Now, someday I'm going to go there as a parent. Someday I'm going to go there in my neighborhood and in my community. Someday I'm going to accept a challenge to really serve and love where I am. Someday I'm going to do that. But right now, there's just a lot of responsibilities. It's just difficult for me right now because there's so much happening, a lot on my plate. We have- yeah, you know, like going to work, which is a good thing. It's a good work. You know, like raising our children, which is a good work. Um, you know, being a mommy, being a dad, being, yeah, those are good works. It's weird. It's, it's like life is getting in the way of all the good things I'm supposed to be doing. Yet the very things you are doing are the very good works that God calls you to do. Read Ephesians 5. But there's imperatives here and guilt tripping and, and, and it's vague as to what it is that it's supposed to look like once it's all done, you know? We have all kinds of reasons why we become content for life in the coffee, coffee shop. We become content to stare at maps rather than to go on an adventure. And it seems to mark our... Yeah, if you're not going on an adventure, God's not happy with you, apparently. ...culture um, more and more. If you look at the uh, amount of hours we spend watching reality TV, it's pretty staggering. And so people will say, hey, I don't really have time to engage in this or in that. But if you engage them in some kind of conversation about The Voice or um, American Idol or keeping up with the Kardashians or The Bachelor dancing with the stars, then they're very knowledgeable. And we don't see the irony, right, that we can spend so much time watching other people live their lives that we are missing out on an opportunity to live a life. And to live our own adventure. And so for all of you who begin this year sitting in the coffee shop, staring at maps, what we want to do in the next four weeks is invite you to go on an adventure with God. The series. Yeah, um, if this is a, if this was Christian doctrine, then Christians for the last two millennia would have been teaching um, the importance of how to go on an adventure with God. This has all the hallmarks of a man-made doctrine to me. We're calling next is a challenge to you, to all of us, to take the next step in our journey of faith. Because without meaning to, we can become quite content just trying to um, maintain the status quo, just staying where we... Apparently that's bad. Yeah. Um, Yeah, let me read to you the passage that I think will help us here. Okay, so, you know, you've heard me say it before, and I'll kind of say it again. How do we know what a good work is? You know, I mean, do you would just invent good works? I mean, Rome has done that. The Roman Catholic Church, they've invented good works. Lock yourself up in a monastery, and um, that's a good work. Go to Rome and, you know, climb this, this staircase on your knees. Uh, supposedly, this is the stairs that Jesus, uh, you know, climbed up, you know, when he was on trial with Pilate. So you climb, and every, and every step on your knees, you say a Hail Mary. That's that's. And you know, and you go and you get an indulgence while you know by uh, seeing this knuckle bone of this saint in this cathedral. You know that those are good works, right? Those are self-invented good works. They're not good works at all. I mean, those are just man-made doctrines posing as good works. And you have all these people going and doing these things, thinking they're doing good works for God. Okay. Well, the question is, as a Christian, and the important part here is that you first understand. We do our good works because we are Christians, not in order to become a Christian. Very vital that you don't put the cart before the horse and somehow think or confuse and somehow, well, I hope to be a Christian someday by doing good things. Well, that's salvation by works, and 
Yeah, that will never result in salvation. That will actually damn you. But Paul writes in Ephesians 5, you know, after he's preached the gospel so clearly in the opening portions of the epistle to the Ephesians, you know, even going so far as to say it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not of yourself. It is the work of God so that no one might boast, right? We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good work. So after you know that you are saved, that you are forgiven, raised from the dead, purchased and won by Christ, and that you have received this gift of salvation, totally gratis, okay? Now we can say, how then as Christians do we live? Well, we understand that sin is slavery and obeying God is freedom. The, uh, you know, the law is freedom. That's why James calls it the law of perfect freedom. So as dearly beloved children, then here's how we walk our lives out, you know, our faith out because we are saved. Ephesians 5, 1, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, not in order to become beloved children because you is one, you is already a beloved child. And so we walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality, all impurity or covetousness must not be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk nor crude joking, which are out of place. Instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes on the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, because you are already a child of the light. For the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Instead, expose them. For it's shameful to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So look carefully then how you walk. That's how you conduct your life. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish. Understand what the will of the Lord is and do not get drunk with wine. That's debauchery. Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting one to one another out of reverence for Christ. Mm-hmm. So therefore, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. So here are the good works. Husbands, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So, Wives submitting to your husbands, husbands loving your wives as Christ loved the church. These are good works. These aren't things that get in the way of what Christ has called you to do. These are the very things that Christ has called you to do. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own that loves his wife, loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, 
but I am saying that it refers to Christ and to the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. Let the wife see that she respects her husband. Chapter 6, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Bond servants, these are slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, but not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Now, you know, if you're not a slave, just think of an employee here. It works very well, right? So just do a good job as an employee, whatever your job is, whether you work in a sawmill whether you work as a garbage collector, whether you work as a doctor or a lawyer, uh, whether you work in a cubicle, yeah, this it, these are good works. It says right here in Ephesians 6 that this is so. So do a good job at work, not trying to please your boss by way of eye service, but rendering your service to the Lord, right? Um, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, you can think, uh, employers do the same to them. Stop threatening, knowing that it, it, he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. Yeah. So one of the things that I always find fascinating is over and again in so many churches, they treat the mundane things that we are doing in our lives as husbands, as wives, as fathers, as mothers, as children, as employees or employers, as somehow getting in the way of the thing that God would have us do. That's what I'm hearing Kyle doing. And yet, these are the very things that Christ has called us to do. These aren't the things getting in the way of the good works that God wants us to do. These are the very good works that Christ has called us to. So we've got a major confusion here. And the other part of the problem is, is that we're hearing that we've got to do whatever these things are, you know, go on this adventure of a lifetime. And rather than put up with a status quo, we're hearing this as you gotta, you gotta, you gotta without without the gospel being brought in. In the Ephesians and Colossians and the other epistles, the good works are never discussed apart from the forgiveness of sins and the cross of Christ and the reminder that you are already forgiven and in him, so lest you think that by doing these things you somehow are earning your salvation. Yeah, Kyle here is uh, confusing along gospel too. We continue. We've been spiritually, and for some of us, you can look back maybe a year or two or five or ten years, and nothing's really changed. Like, you've not really been challenged in any dramatic way. There hasn't been any any story really worth telling. You've just kind of gone along day to day, week to week. Yeah, you know, my story is, uh, you know, I, I worked in the cubicles over in that uh, large corporation, and yeah, I'd commute an hour to work every day and an hour home every day and, you know, took my kids to baseball and helped them with their arithmetic and their homework. Yeah, no big stories there. Now, notice, that's, you're sitting there going, ah, that sounds like my life. Right, it does sounds like, you know, parts of my life as well. And what is Kyle doing? Without any biblical text, he's creating guilt and anxiety in the hearts and minds of the people who have, this is their lives. As it, it, and basically treating them as if somehow they've done something wrong, that they've missed it. They're not doing the thing that God would have them do. But the thing is, they're doing exactly what God would have them do. If you know your Bible, you'd know that. And what we would love to do is to be a church full of explorers 
that accepts the invitation to go on this adventure with God. One of the ways that we're trying to help uh, engage this as a church is through our Love Where You Are groups. And there are groups meeting all around this community. No doubt there's a group meeting close to where you live. And we're asking you to join a Love Where You Are group so that we can not just come to church and sit and listen, but that we can really live this out. We can put the maps away, and go on an adventure. And so if you haven't signed up for one of those groups, we'd love to. Yeah, if you're not on an adventure, <laughs> oh, man, God's not happy with you. love for you to do that this weekend. Um, but, but we don't want to be people who just read others' stories. We want to be able to tell our own. So what I want us to do in the next few minutes is look at the invitation that Jesus gives the disciples to go on an adventure with him, to follow him. And what we're... What? There's a... What? we're going to do is we're going to look at the same story from two different accounts. We're going to look at it from Matthew's perspective, and we're going to see what Luke has to say about it. Same story, but two different perspectives. Uh, Matthew chapter 4, we're going to spend some time there. Then we'll flip over and look at Luke chapter 4 and 5 as Jesus invites the disciples to take this next step to follow him. So just some context here. Matthew is writing to a mostly Jewish audience. Because of that, there's a lot he can leave out. There's some cultural assumptions that he can make because his audience understands the perspective um, that he's writing from. There's some things he doesn't need to include. So when Matthew tells about the calling of the disciples, what you'll notice is it's, it's a pretty succinct version. It's just a few sentences long, really. Um, and then Luke's going to give us more detail. But here's what Matthew says about when Jesus called the disciples to follow him. It says, one day, verse 18, one day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. And Jesus called out to them, come, follow me, and I'll show you how to fish for people. Verse 20 says, they left their nets at once, or immediately, and they followed him. A little farther up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father, Zebedee, repairing their nets, and he called them to come too. And they immediately followed him and leaving the boat and their father behind. So when we read this from Matthew's perspective, here's what it looks like. And this is maybe the way some of you grew up thinking about this moment, that Jesus just kind of randomly shows up on the scene. They don't really know who he is, but he says, follow me. And they're like, okay, I mean, we don't really know who you are. We don't know what you're about, but good luck with the fishing business dad tell mom we said bye and they just go and follow him that's what it appears to be in matthew's account it appears that they were uh, somewhat impulsive maybe even irresponsible in accepting the invitation to follow jesus but but a lot of us grew up thinking that's how it works that jesus says follow me and there's really no room for questions and there's really no opportunity to explore you're either in or you're out right you go one way or the other. Just, I mean, if you, if you want to go to heaven, you better say yes. You, and, and so we had this idea that it was just this blind decision to say, I'm going to follow Jesus. But there was not any exploration. There wasn't any room for questioning. But Luke writes the same story, tells us the same story, but he gives us a lot of details leading up to it. Because while Matthew wrote to a Jewish audience, Luke wrote to a Gentile audience. And he knows that the Gentiles are going to be skeptical. They don't understand the rabbinical approach to teaching, where the followers would leave behind their life as they knew it and follow a rabbi and learn from the rabbi. Now, I'm going to point something out here. There's something cooking under the hood of his theology that's off. 
Notice he keeps saying that the disciples made the decision. The disciples made the decision. Uh Uh-uh. Let me read to you the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John, chapter 15. The Gospel of John, chapter 15, and a particular verse, verse 16. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may also give it to you. Yeah, so we got a problem here, and that is is that, um, actually, we've got a lot of problems now. Kyle seems to think that the calling of the disciples in Matthew chapter 4, that the disciples made a decision. Jesus says, you did not choose me, I chose you. That's really important. And so we read now in Matthew 4, which he was reading from, 4.18, While walking by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, who did the choosing? Who did the calling? Jesus did. Jesus is God in human flesh. They didn't choose to follow Jesus. They didn't choose to go on an adventure with Jesus. Uh-huh. Yeah, Kyle here is, um, he's forgetting a passage that helps. The Gentiles didn't get that. So they were going to have more questions. They were going to be more cynical. And so, so Luke explains, and in fact, he begins um, his account, his gospel account in Luke chapter 1, by saying, you know, that essentially he knows... He knows his readers are going to be a little bit cynical. He says, many people have set out, this is verse 1, many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. And they use the eyewitness report circulating among us from the early disciples. Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I also have decided to write a careful account. An orderly account for you, most honorable Theophilus, so that you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. So what's Luke saying? He's saying, look, I've explored these things. I didn't just write down what other people told me to write down. I heard what they said, first person's experience, and then I investigated it carefully, and I've written them down in an orderly manner. And he knows that the people he is going to be writing to uh, are going to be coming at it with some cynicism. And so Luke's going to tell us the same story about Jesus calling the disciples, but he's going to give us context. He's going to help lead us into it. And so before telling us about the calling of the disciples in Luke 5. Luke tells us in chapter 4, verse 14, that Jesus has already been teaching in the area. It says reports about Jesus spread quickly through the whole region. He taught regularly in their synagogues, was praised by everyone. So Luke makes the point that before Jesus even calls the disciples, the disciples would have known who he was. They would have been familiar with the reputation of this unconventional rabbi that was an incredible teacher. Luke also tells us in chapter 4 that before Jesus calls the disciples that he casts out a demon. Yeah, but Jesus says in the Gospel of John, you did not choose me, I chose you. The disciples didn't choose Jesus. And when Jesus calls the disciples, that's not to invite them on the adventure of a lifetime. And um, verse 36 says, amazed, the people exclaimed, what authority and power this man's word possess, 
possesses. Even evil spirits obey him and they flee at his command. And the news about Jesus spread through every village in the entire region. So the disciples knew that Jesus had incredible authority, incredible power, that even demons believed or obeyed him. And, and so before setting out on this adventure with Jesus, they had an opportunity to explore who Jesus was. What he was. Yeah, you're, you're isogeting at this point. And the reason I say that is because there's nothing in the text that says anything about them exploring this decision before they made it. Jesus explicitly says, I chose you, you did not choose me. So we got a big problem here. Big, 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 big problem here because um, Kyle is a, uh, well, a purveyor of the false idea that when it comes to, to things pertaining to God, we have to exercise our free will. And apparently now we've got to exercise our free will in order to make the decision to go on the adventure of a lifetime, just like the disciples did. But the Bible doesn't say that. Even with all this other background information that Kyle is giving, that he's giving this all to create the impression that what were the disciples doing? They were sitting there pondering, should we go with Jesus on this adventure or not? That's not what's going on in either Matthew or Luke. John makes this clear by quoting Jesus as saying, I, I chose you, you did not choose me. We continue. It was about, chapter 4 ends and says, so Jesus continued to travel around preaching in synagogues throughout Judea. So, so here's, here's what I want you to catch, is that sometimes the journey of faith is described as kind of a path where there's no, no room for questions. You just have to blindly follow and if you have doubts, you better keep those to yourself. Yeah, these texts have nothing to do with doubts and things like that. Who did the calling? Who did the choosing? Jesus said he was the one who did that, not the disciples. And if you have questions, then, you know, don't ask those out loud. Just, just, just get in line and just follow. Sometimes it's portrayed that way, but Luke shows us something different, and John does as well, that when Jesus called the disciples, he gave them opportunity to explore. In fact, in, in the Gospel of John, the invitation of Jesus is to come and see. Come and see. Come see for yourself. Investigate. Explore this. And so in chapter 5, Luke's going to tell us the same story as Matthew, but he's going to give us a little bit more detail. It's not contradictory, but it's, it's a little more in-depth. So here's what Luke says, chapter 5. It says, one day Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. So Matthew said Jesus was on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Luke says, yeah, and he was also preaching. Matthew left that out. Great crowds pressed in on him and to listen to the word of God. And Jesus noticed two empty boats at the water's edge for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. And stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push out into the water. And so he sat in the boat and he taught the crowds from there. The, the water was a way to naturally uh, amplify the voice of Jesus as he taught. And so you kind of picture the scene. You got Jesus in a boat with, with Peter and probably Peter's brother, Andrew. And they're sitting there watching Jesus as he teach, as he teaches the crowd on the shore. When he had, verse four, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now I want you to go where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Verse five, master Simon replied, we, we worked all night and we, we didn't catch anything. You hear what? What he's saying, um, we've already done this. We've already tried to catch fish. And by the way, you're a carpenter. 
And I'm a fisherman. Like that's what it says on my business card. I, I, I know what I'm doing. I've been doing this my whole life. I know how, I know how to fish. You're telling me to go out and fish, but I, I've already, I've already been fit. This isn't the time of day to fish. That's not the place you want to go fish. And, and yet he says to Jesus, but because you've said, because you say so, I'll, I'll do it. I'll, I'll let down the nets again. Verse 6 says, at this time, their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear, and a shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, O Lord, please leave me. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. For he was awestruck by the number of fish that they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. And Jesus replied to Simon, to Peter, Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and they followed Jesus. So do you see the difference between Matthew's account and Luke's account? I mean, what? Yeah, but uh, John makes it clear the disciples didn't choose Jesus. He chose them. He's God. Uh-huh. What Matthew said was technically right, but what Luke includes makes a lot more sense for those of us who tend to be a little more skeptical. That the disciples had time to explore, to learn, to discover They had time to personally encounter the power of Jesus in their life. And then they took that next step and they left their nets. They followed him. So as we begin this new year, the question I would like all of us to kind of engage is this question of what is my next step in my journey with Jesus? What's the next step for me? What is my next? My, my, me, me, me. And for each of us, there's an answer to that question, right? Like no matter where you're at and you're faith journey, there's a next step that needs to be taken. And so one of the things that we discover is that as we follow Jesus, it calls us to continually have this identity as an explorer. No matter where you're at in your faith, there should be an exploration. What are you talking about? This is a theology you invented. Probably Rick Warren invented. This is purpose-driven nonsense, you know, taken to its logical conclusion. There's no passages that teach this doctrine. You're imposing this doctrine on the text. It's a form of eisegesis, and it's all heavily law-based and totally ambiguous as to what it is that you're even talking about. Of faith. Exploring involves, we see, learning, and it involves discovery. So you, you see this with the disciples early on, and that continues to be true throughout following Jesus. Peter and the disciples, they listened to the teaching of Jesus. They had time to discover what he was about, and they personally encountered um, his truth. And so when Jesus asked to teach from Peter's boat, Peter, Peter explored. He didn't say, well, you know, it's not really a good time for me right now. And I'm, I'm really tired and there's a big game on tonight. So I'm going to have to pass on this. No, he took an opportunity to discover a little bit more, to explore if Jesus really knew what he was talking about. And so this is a step that I, I really would love to challenge some of you to take. I know that I'm talking to some people, at least, that have been coming to church for a little while. And you've learned a little bit about Jesus, and yet there are these questions that you have that are holding you back spiritually. You're struggling with these questions, and they're good questions, but you don't feel like you can ask them. Questions like, how do you reconcile the goodness of God with the suffering in this world? How do you reconcile a loving God with the doctrine of hell? It's good questions. 
Questions, you know, that maybe have come to the surface since you went away to school and you had some professor who raised a lot of doubts in your faith. And those questions are there, but instead of asking them, instead of feeling free to explore those questions, you hide behind them. In some ways, you're afraid of an answer because if those questions get answered, then suddenly there are very real implications for your life and for your purpose. And and it's almost easier. It's almost easier to not know the answer to the questions, to not actually explore. It's, it's almost easier to just say, well, I believe, but, you know, there's all these questions I have, and I'm just going to kind of hide behind these questions. It's more comfortable behind those questions. But the invitation is to, to explore, to take the next step. And one of the things that I've discovered over the years is that, that people will hide behind these questions, and then they, they don't either feel free to explore or they don't want to explore. And so I might say to yeah, are you exploring enough? I I don't I don't even know if I'm exploring enough now. I mean, what is this? Someone who has a has a question about faith. It's a good question. I'll say, hey, you know, good question. I I'd love for you to take a look at a at a couple of books, and I might recommend a book or two for them to read. Or or I might say, hey, here's a lecture that you might want to listen to, or here's a debate on YouTube that you might want to pull up. And what I've discovered is that more times than not, that never happens. Like, I'll run into the person later. Hey, did you read the books? No. Did you, did you take some time? I'd love to hear your observation about what you read. Uh, I have, it's been really busy. And I just haven't had time. I'm going to pick those up, but I haven't yet. Okay. Well, what about the lecture? Did you have time to listen to the lecture, the YouTube video, that debate that I sent you? I, you know what? I haven't had time to watch that YouTube debate. I've watched the evolution of dance 75 times, but I haven't had time to actually watch that YouTube debate. And, and so what, what happens is we, we act like we have these big questions and these big doubts, but we, but we don't want to explore. Maybe because we're afraid of what we'll find. Maybe because we don't feel like we have the freedom to ask the questions, but my challenge for you is to take that next step. Don't, don't hide behind those. Jesus welcomes them. He's not afraid of them. When the disciple Thomas questioned the resurrection of Christ, Jesus didn't say, you know, Thomas, you, you just have to believe. No, he, he invited Thomas to examine himself. He said, look, Thomas, put, put your hand on my hands, feel my scars, and put your hand in my side, and and then he said to, to Thomas, you know, stop doubting and believe. But this is not just a step for people who are kind of at the beginning of their faith journey. This is also a step for those of you who've been a, a follower of Jesus for many years, that exploring should be a continued commitment that we make. Um, my dad was a... Uh, have you committed enough to exploring? I don't, I don't know if I have or not. I mean... Do I, do I go to hell if I haven't? A seminary professor and a, a seminary president for more than 30 years. And for the last 10 years or so, he's he's been the preacher pastor of a church in Evansville, Indiana. But last week he sent me an email and he was excited to tell me about some things that God had been teaching him. And I just I just want to read to you what he wrote to me. He said, son, I have to tell you about a book I just read called Unoffendable. It makes the point that Jesus was never personally offended, and this is something I have completely overlooked and I've really needed to think about. Now, when I'm reading this, almost immediately what strikes me is my dad is one of the you know, least offendable people I know. It's very difficult to offend my father, and yet this is an area where he feels like God is teaching me. And he, he goes on to say, he says, um, 
For all of my life, I've been offended by a particular kind of person, the person who bullies others, who torments the helpless, the person who intimidates those who are weak, the person who victimizes the defenseless. As you know, when it comes to people like this, I'm looking for a fight. I'm afraid this is something that I've passed on to you, but I can see now that I have shown very little grace to this type of person. I have too often behaved, he writes, like Peter in the garden, and with noble intentions, I pull out the sword and I take off an ear, determined that I'm going to set things right and I'm going to fix things. And yet Jesus took time to tenderly reattach the ear. And so God has been teaching me, and I feel very free and at peace, that God can be trusted to set things right. I am beginning to understand Romans twelve nineteen, where God says, it's mine to avenge and I will repay. So God is teaching me that more often I need to back off, put away my sword and stay out of his business. As I grow older, he writes, I am determined to show more love, patience and grace in the face of offense and injustice. So he's been a theology professor for, and preacher for 40 years. But I can tell you one of his favorite things to do is explore, to learn and discover the new things God has to teach him. The Hebrew writer rebukes Christians who follow Jesus for a long time, but don't go deeper. Hebrews 5.12 says, you've been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again just the basic things about God's word. You're like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. You're like babies. Yeah, and that's out of context. The reason I say that, the uh, the epistle to the Hebrews is written to people who are basically going back to Judaism. And so the divine author, the inspired author of the Hebrews, has to explain to them over again the basics of the faith, Christ's propitiatory sacrifice, and how he, Jesus, fulfills the types and shadows of the Old Testament. Basically saying, why are you going back to the types and shadows when we have the substance, that is Christ. So, um, yeah, he's taking this passage out of context and not paying attention to what exactly it is that the inspired author is really critiquing them for. This, and you know, trying to make it sound like, well, you know, you're just not exploring enough. No, that was never the uh, critique of the inspired author of the Book of Hebrews. You, you want other people to spoon feed you. You've been at this long enough. You, you should be thinking of ways to pour into other people, but you just, you just you keep wanting other people to feed you, and you're stuck in the spiritual rut. And then- la, la, la. All imperative, no indicatives of as far as what Christ has done for us. And it's, and it's time you take the next step. One of the things that you find in Scripture when it talks about spiritual growth is that, and this is uh, really uh, vital, is that community is always assumed. Meaning that we all now we're getting communitarian theology. Oftentimes we'll think of ourselves exploring um, like, a, like an Indiana Jones approach where we're on our own and we're making it happen. And, and yet in Scripture, that's not consistent. What we see in Scripture is that it's always done in community, that we are on this path together. It doesn't mean we don't do some things on our own, but that we are together. We encourage one another. We strengthen one another. Um, Dave talked last week about the importance of accountability as we make New Year's resolutions, that they, they should be measurable and we need some accountability. And so earlier in the week, we had lunch. Dave and I had lunch. And, and I knew we both have this common vice, this common bad habit that we've both tried to kick over the, the years. And that is at night, 
uh, we end every evening with a bowl of cereal every night. We've done it for years and years and years. Uh, we, a bowl of cereal before going to bed at night. And, and, and we're not eating fiber one, y'all. Like, that's not what we're eating. We're having sugar, kids' cereal. That's, that's how we finish off our night. And I was telling him, hey, I, I know I need to kick this, this habit. And, um, you know, but I know there's going to be withdrawal symptoms and such. But, so I, my, I, I don't want to quit all at once, I explained. And my wife's helping me with this. So she goes out and she buys these bowls that are so small, these really small bowls. And she said, you know, if you just eat, you can eat a bowl of cereal and I just eat it in this bowl instead of this bowl. And I'm like, but it takes two of these bowls. And, and so I was telling him just about, you know, some of that challenge and... And, and, you know, we're kind of in that, to, in that together. It's just similar struggle. And that night around 10.30 or so, uh, I get a text from Dave with just a simple picture attached of him with his giant bowl of honeycomb. And um, he's finishing off his night with his big bowl of cereal. And I looked a little closer at this picture, and I noticed that he's using almond milk. Uh, he's drinking honeycomb with almond milk. That's what happens when 54-year-old men uh, eat sugar cereal. They have to use almond milk. You, you can't milk almonds. I don't know if you understand how that works. but that, I don't know what that is, but that's not milk, right? I, but maybe those two things cancel each other out. But, but we have some fun with it, I and mean, we encourage each other. We, we, we learn not to take some things a little bit too seriously, but that yet there's some accountability. And, and that's a, an important part of this journey. That in, in, on this journey of faith, that we, we share some of the challenges and struggles, and we have someone there to help us keep perspective. And, and, and it's not something that to be, that's to be done in, alone. We need community. The other thing that we see with, with uh, the disciples is, is, and with Peter in particular, is that exploring entails personal involvement. So that's, that's... He's not exegeting this text. He's engaging in eisegesis, sticking stuff into these texts that are not there. That's what happens. It moves from just learning and discovery to getting personally involved. And Jesus asks Peter um, to go out into the deep water and to cast his nets now, suddenly, Peter has a choice to make, right? Because up until this point, he's just an observer. He's just a tourist. He's not an explorer. He, he's just sitting back and listening and watching. But now, suddenly, he's invited to be a part of the story, to put away his maps and to be a part of the story. Jesus wants to get in his boat, and now he's asking Peter to go out into the deep water. And Peter, frankly, is, is a little bit cynical, I mean, he's a little bit skeptical when Jesus says, I want us to go fishing and here's where I want us to go. Because in Peter's mind, it's, it's not the right time of day and this isn't the, the right place. It's not where we go fish. But Jesus says, look, you know, I, I know you've done this many, many times your way. I want you to do it my way. And Peter, I don't think Peter thinks it'll work, but he just says, okay, I, because you say so, I'll do it. At, at this point, he, know, he, he knows enough about Jesus to know might as well try it. I mean, after all, what's he have to lose? He, he doesn't have any fish. It, ha- it hasn't worked out for him, so why not try it? And so what we see, and this is really significant, he takes this one small area of his life, and he just kind of surrenders it over and says, well, okay, let's see what happens. Let's see what happens. I, I'm skeptical, frankly. I don't think it's going to make any difference. But, but okay, I'll explore this. So we'll, we'll try it. Because you say so, I'll, I'll try it. And I would love for some of you to kind of accept that challenge in an area of your life where you've listened to Jesus and, and you're still a little skeptical maybe about some things, 
but you've got this area of your life that's not really... Yeah, you see, this area of his life, the fishing area of Peter's life, he finally surrendered it to Jesus, and wow, look at the results. What a... This is not exit Jesus. I, this is... Wow. This is just nonsense. Really working out that well for him? What if this year you just said, I... And then the famous what if, what if, what if, law, 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 what if, what if, what if. Yeah, this is, uh, this is just miserable. This is the kind of stuff that is just bondage theologically. I don't really think, I don't really think his way is going to work either. But because he said so, and because I don't really have anything to lose, I'll try it. I'll try it. So maybe what Jesus is telling you to do is kind of a next step personal involvement is to pray for your enemies. You don't want to do that. It sounds ridiculous, frankly. But the truth is your bitterness and your anger, it's not really working for you. And so what do you have to lose? Why not just try it? Why not just try it and see what happens? Or, or maybe it's this area of your life, finances. Or maybe it's an area of your life, sexuality. And Just yield a, a, a section of your life. What do you have to lose? Go ahead. Law, law, law. No, nothing. We're not hearing anything about what Jesus has actually done for us. Wow, this is really awful. Mm. And you know things are broken, and, and you've tried to kind of put things back together on your own, but the, it's not really working. So why not just say, okay, for this year, I, I don't really believe all of this. I don't really think it's going to work, but because he said so, I'll throw my nets out there. I'll explore. I'll, I'll see what happens. Or maybe it's in your marriage. You feel like you've been working really hard in your marriage, but there's not a lot to show for it. And things don't seem that much better now than they did last year, even though you've been putting in the effort. And you say, okay, I'm, you know, I'm skeptical that it'll work or make that much difference, but I'll, I'll explore here. I'll try it. And I'll see what happens if I just, if I just simply start praying with my wife. I'll, I'll see what happens if I, if I just try to find some ways to love her sacrificially. I'll see, I'll see. Uh, law, law, law. Were you going to tell us about anything that Jesus has actually done for us? You know, the Apostle Paul wouldn't talk about our good works apart from what Christ has done for us. Why are you doing it? Officially throughout the week. I speak to her with gentleness. Now, I don't think it'll work. I, I think she's just going to run right over me, but because, because Jesus has said this, maybe I'll try it. Maybe, maybe I'll try just to encourage my husband every day. I, I, I don't feel like it, to be honest with you, but, but if Jesus said that, I'll, I'll try it. Or maybe you say, I'll, I'll, I'll try to... Tr Basically, he's just trying to convince people to be, modify their behavior. That's, the, that's what you call going on an adventure with Jesus? Really? Talk to my husband with respect. Frankly, I, I don't think he deserves it. If he would do something worthy of respect, I'd show him respect, but all right. Because the Bible tells me to do this, I'll try it, and I'll see if it makes any difference. I don't think it'll make any difference. And so you just say, okay, God, I'm going to explore your truth in this area of my life, and I'm going to see what happens. Jesus seems to welcome that. And so the question is, are you going to be a tourist, or are you going to be an explorer? Well, yeah, if by explorer you mean somebody who's obedient to Jesus, yes, I'll always be a tourist, and that's the problem. Which of us can say that we that we obey enough? At what point can I say, well, now I've gone from tourist to being explorer because I've yielded, I've submitted, I've done something, I, I've done enough of this or that or the other thing. 
who of us can talk that way? I don't know anybody who can. So this is a formula, all law, no gospel, that literally will cause people to at some point say, yeah, I guess I'm not a Christian. I, You know, you hear this kind of preaching and you sit there and if you're honest, you're going to go, yeah, um, man, I, I guess I'm just an explorer. Hmm. I guess I'm not really a Christian after all because, you know, I haven't obeyed enough. That's what the law does. It always points its bony finger at you and commands that you do things and always shows that you're not living up. And it condemns. Yeah, Lex Semper Accusa. The law always accuses. But he's not he's not giving us the gospel. Just try this, try harder, resolve to do this. You need to I'm trying to convince you to go from being you know, uh, you know, a tourist to be an explorer. Don't you know how important this is? Just, just try it. Just try, try, try. Yeah. But this is all law. And our sinful nature doesn't obey God's law. And thinking that somehow our standing before God is going to be, you know, is based upon whether or not I went from being a tourist to be an explorer. At the end of the day, you're going to say, I never really made the transition because I can never obey enough. And that's right, you can't, because the law demands perfect obedience. But we continue. Are you going to be someone who stares at maps and is more interested in taking pictures? Are you going to be someone who just stays on the trail? A tourist demands to be entertained and wants to be waited on? Are you going to be a tourist or are you going to be an explorer? If you're beginning this year in a coffee shop, staring at maps, saying, someday I'll go there then we are inviting you on an adventure. Some of us grew up in church where the idea of following Jesus was kind of captured by this sentence, um, won't you invite Jesus into your life? That's how a lot of us thought of our faith journey. That's the invitation many of you responded to. Someone stood up and said, hey, we want to challenge you to invite Jesus into your life. And you thought, all right, you know, I, I'm not sure. Maybe I have some questions. Maybe I have some doubts. But I want to go to heaven, so I'm going to invite Jesus into my life. And, and that's not the invitation. Jesus doesn't want to. Yeah, I agree. We don't invite Jesus into our life. Scripture is clear. Jesus, just like he did with the disciples, chooses us. This is not a matter of our will. This is a matter of God's will. So let's see if he figures that out and teaches monergism or if he's going to end up just creating something that is just as unbiblical as inviting Jesus into your heart. Let's see what he does. I want to be invited into your life because, you know, frankly, your life is kind of boring and it's a, it's a little bit messy a little bit, a little boring, a little messy. How about sinful? The invitation is not to invite Jesus into your life. Like Peter didn't say, all right, Jesus, I feel like I know you well enough that I want to invite you into my life and we can fish together. I'll teach you how to clean the fish and fix the nets and we'll sell them at market. It'll be good. It'll be a good life. Jesus, that's all right. He, it's not being invited, Jesus being invited into our lives. Instead, the invitation is an invitation to go on an adventure with Jesus. To Says no biblical text anywhere. You're just making stuff up now. Leave your life behind and join him in his work. That's the invitation. And so we want to ask you, we want to challenge you over these next four weeks. 
not so much to invite Jesus into your life, but to join him in his life, to leave behind your old life. Uh-huh. This is just awful. And to take the next step in following, following him and the adventure that he has for you. Yeah, it says no biblical text anywhere. Yeah, no, we're just going to make stuff up now. Yeah. Come join Jesus on an adventure. Uh, the uh, It's in the epistle of Snob chapter 46. Yeah, I don't know what that is. But yeah, it's it's there. It's in the Gnostic Gospels. Let's pray together. Uh, no, no. Yeah, sorry. Wow, that was... That was just deplorable. It, it was depressing. It was just terrible. I mean, that wasn't true Christian sanctification that he was talking about there, and he's just making stuff up. You know, oh, this sounds better. Come join Jesus on an adventure. You're still trying to sell me on saving myself. Yeah, it's it's not going to work with me. I, I, I am beyond the ability to save myself. If I'm not saved 100% by Christ and what he's done for me, I yeah, it's it's over for me. Yeah, I've, I've got hell to look forward to. The scripture teaches that Christ died for the ungodly, and we do our good works because we are Christians. All of the imperatives are in light of the indicatives, and we heard none of the indicatives in that train wreck of a sermon. Wow, that was, yeah, that was just pretty bad. What did you think? I'd love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ, his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.